Section 12 of That Affair at Elizabeth. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. That Affair at Elizabeth by Burton Egbert Stevenson. Chapter 20. An Appeal for Advice. A cold plunge wiped away the last vestiges of sleepiness, and ten minutes later I joined Godfrey in the dining-room, where he had ordered lunch for both of us, and where we could talk undisturbed, since we were its only occupants. "'I've been up only a few minutes myself,' he began as I sat down. "'But I didn't get to bed till nearly noon. There was too much to do this morning.' "'Tell me about it,' I said. "'I'm anxious to hear the developments.' "'There aren't any.' "'But you've cleared up the mystery of the murder.' "'Cleared it up? My dear Lester, we haven't been able to take the first step toward clearing it up. We know the unknown was shot, but as to who shot him and why we're utterly at sea.' "'Once established his identity. That's just what we can't do. But perhaps I'd better tell you the whole story.' "'Yes, do,' I said. "'That's what I want to hear.' "'Well,' he began, "'after I left you I hurried downtown toward the telegraph office, and it wasn't until I'd gone quite away that I met a patrolman.' I stopped just long enough to tell him that he was needed at the Kingdon place, for my time was getting short and I couldn't afford to waste a minute. It wasn't until afterwards that I thought of the equivocal position you'd be in when the police arrived. Oh, I was certainly under suspicion, I laughed, but there was no harm done. After I got off my message, I stopped here at the hotel and cleaned up, for I was really a sight. I learned from the clerk that you'd already arrived in custody of a policeman. I peeped in at you and found you sleeping like a log, not disturbed in the least by the presence of the sentinel. The result of a clear conscience, I pointed out. So I told the cop, after he'd related your adventure with the chief. Then I hurried back to the Kingdon place and found that the coroner had just arrived. He's an ambitious young fellow named Haynes, and is cleverer than the run of coroners. I introduced myself, told him what I knew of the case and of your connection with it, and persuaded him to recall the officer who was guarding you. The only thing that bothered me, I said, was to explain our presence in the house. How did you do it? Godfrey laughed. <laughs> oh, easily enough. We yellow journalists, you know, bear the reputation of pausing at nothing. We're also credited with a sort of second sight when it comes to nosing out news. I encouraged Haines to believe that I possessed both these characteristics. I dwelt upon the suspicious circumstance of the light in the cellar, and led him to think that we saw from the outside considerably more than we really did see. I didn't tell him the whole truth, because I didn't want him to connect this affair in any way with Miss Lawrence's disappearance. I want to work that out for myself. It's my private property. I nodded. Neither did I desire that Miss Lawrence's name should be connected with this tragedy, not at least until there was some positive evidence against her. And I hoped against hope, knowing Godfrey's persistence and cleverness, that no such evidence would be found. After I'd convinced the coroner of our disinterested motives, continued Godfrey, we went down to the cellar together, and with the help of a couple of policemen dug up the body. One of the policemen happened to be Clemley, who had been stationed at the Lawrence place, and he identified the man at once as the one who had asked him the way to the Kingdon house. We got him out, and a good load he was, stripped back his clothes, and found that he had been shot in the breast. The wound was a very small one, and there had been little external bleeding. There were no burns upon the clothing, so the shot was fired from a distance of at least five feet. The police surgeon ran in his probe, and found that the bullet had passed directly through the heart, so that death was instantaneous. From the expression of the face, I should say that the victim had no suspicion of his danger. You remember that leer of self-satisfaction. The course of the bullet was downward, which would seem to indicate that he was sitting in a chair at the time, while his murderer was standing up. He had been dead more than twenty-four hours. The clay of the cellar was nearly as hard as rock, which accounts for the fact that Harriet Kingdon was so long getting him buried." "'And it was she who fired the shot,' I said with conviction. "'Marshal Lawrence had nothing to do with it.' 
"'Do you believe Lucy Kingdon knew anything about it?' he asked, looking at me keenly. "'No, I'm sure she didn't.' "'Then you apparently believe that one woman of only ordinary strength could handle a body which taxed two strong men to lift?' "'I tell you, Lester, Harriet Kingdon, unaided, couldn't have taken that body to the cellar and laid it in that grave. If Lucy Kingdon didn't aid her, who did?' "'I don't know,' I answered. "'But it wasn't who you think.' "'Well, I hope it wasn't, but I don't see any other way out.' "'You don't know all the facts yet,' I pointed out, "'and I'm not so sure that Harriet Kingdon couldn't have handled the body alone. She didn't have to lift it, but just drag it down the stairs and tumble it into the hole. She could have done that and removed the traces afterwards.' but the body wasn't tumbled into the hole. It was laid in. Did you notice its position? The feet were toward the inner wall. Do you suppose she'd have dragged him by his legs? She might have done anything in her excitement, I persisted doggedly. You can't reason about what a woman would do under such circumstances. Perhaps not, Godfrey admitted, but Haynes was struck with the idea, too, that Harriet Kingdon must have had an accomplice. He believes, of course, that the accomplice was her sister. I let him keep on believing so. She can clear herself easily enough when the time comes. But just at present I want him to think he knows the whole story. Yes, I agreed. That's the best. Keep the bomb from bursting as long as you can. I'm not keeping it from bursting, but I can't explode it until I get it properly charged. I see you're hoping I never will. Not with that charge, I said fervently. Well, we won't talk about it now, said Godfrey, smiling at my earnestness. After the coroner had looked over the ground and got his data, we lugged the body upstairs and examined it. It was that of a man of about fifty, well-preserved, but showing marks of dissipation. The tip of the little finger on his left hand was missing, as Clemley had said. From his complexion, hair, and general appearance, I should say that he was undoubtedly an Italian. I've already told you how he was killed. And you couldn't identify him? No. Nothing in his clothes, no letter, or anything of that sort. Not a thing. There was some loose money in the trousers' pockets, a knife, a small comb, and a few other odds and ends, but no watch, nor pocket-book, nor papers. However, I believe there had been. I fancied that the inside pocket of the coat had been turned out, and then hastily shoved in again. One of the vest-buttons was unbuttoned, and the lower left-hand pocket of the vest certainly showed that a watch had been carried in it. You mean these things had been removed? I certainly do. But what was the motive of it all? I demanded desperately. I don't know, I can't see clearly, but I'm sure of one thing, and that is that it will lead back to Marshal Lawrence. I don't believe it, I retorted. I don't. The door opened, and the clerk came in. Somebody wants you at the phone, Mr. Lester, he said, long distance, and he led the way to the booth. It was Mr. Royce, and not until that moment did I remember that my absence from the office was unexplained. I was a little worried at first, he said, in answer to my question, but when I saw that special from Elizabeth in the record this morning, I began to understand, especially when I called up your landlady and found you'd left the house in a hurry last night after getting a telegram. Yes, it was from Godfrey. What's up? The clerk down there told me this morning that you'd come in about daybreak, looking like you'd been digging a sewer, and that a policeman was guarding you in your room. Yes, I was suspected of murder for a while, but I'm not under guard any longer. I'll get back to the office as soon as I can. Oh, take your time. I'm getting along fairly well. Of course I've read the papers. There's no connection between this affair and that other one, is there, Lester? Godfrey thinks so, I answered, glancing around to make sure that the door of the booth was securely closed. He thinks the dead man was Miss L.'s husband, and half believes she killed him. I could hear Mr. Royce's inarticulate exclamation of disgust and anger. But of course that's all moonshine, I added. Moonshine? I should say so. Now, Lester... I want you to stay there till you get this thing straightened out, if only for Curtis's sake. I know you can prove that any such theory as that is all bosh. I'll try to, I answered him, and hung up the receiver. 
but I confess that I was not at all sure of my ability to accomplish the task. As I left the booth, the clerk came toward me. "'There's a gentleman inquiring for you, Mr. Lester,' he said. "'He was here about noon asking for you, but wouldn't have you disturbed. He's over here in the parlour, waiting for you.' I followed him to the door of the parlour. "'This is Mr. Lester,' he said to a white-haired old man who was pacing nervously up and down, and left us alone together. For a moment I did not recognize him. Then, as he came forward into the clearer light, I found myself looking down into the face of Dr. Schuller. "'My dear Mr. Lester,' he said, advancing with outstretched hand, "'I hope you will pardon this intrusion.' "'It's not in the least an intrusion,' I said, honestly glad to see him. "'Thank you. Let us sit down over here by the window, if you will. I do not wish to run any risk of being overheard.' and he glanced about anxiously. As I looked at him more closely, I saw that he was laboring under some deep trouble or anxiety. His face was pale and haggard, and he fingered his glasses with a nervousness which I knew was not habitual. "'The truth of the matter is,' he went on, "'that I feel the need of advice, legal advice. I have friends here, of course, to whom I could have gone, but I was told that you were interested in this case, and from what I saw of you the other evening I felt that I should like to lay my difficulty before you.' It is, as I said, a purely legal question, or I should not have felt the need for any earthly counsel. I thanked him for his confidence and begged him to continue. As I understand the law, he went on, an insane person cannot be punished for a crime. No, I said, except by being confined in an asylum until cured, and even that is largely discretionary. And what, in law, is considered insanity? What is the test for it? Inability to distinguish right from wrong is the usual test. No man is excused from responsibility for a crime, if he has the capacity and reason sufficient to enable him to distinguish between right and wrong, as to the particular act he is then doing. I fancied I heard the clergyman breathe a sigh of relief. A person, then, may be sane as regards some things, and insane as regards others. Undoubtedly. Would the fact that a person had at one time been confined in an asylum, and had occasional lapses from sanity afterward, tend to prove that he was insane at the time of committing a crime. It would tend to prove it very strongly, especially if the circumstances under which the crime was committed were related in any way to the cause of the insanity. He paused a moment in deep thought. "'I cannot go that far,' he said slowly at last. "'And yet—and yet—' "'It may be that you've hit upon the clue, Mr. Lester. "'I must have time to think it over. "'Will you come to see me this evening?' "'Gladly,' I said. "'I only hope I can be of service. "'Thank you. "'I shall look for you between seven and eight. "'It may be that I shall have something to tell you.' "'I watched him as he left the room, "'with a curious mixture of emotions. "'What was it he would have to tell me? "'Who was it was insane? "'Was it—' and suddenly I seemed to catch a glimmer of the truth. I felt that, however slowly and uncertainly, I was at last groping toward the light. End of chapter 20 Chapter 21 Cross Purposes Godfrey was waiting for me at the desk, and I felt him glance at me keenly as I announced my readiness to accompany him. "'We'll go up to the Kingdom Place,' he said, "'and see if the coroner has made any discoveries.' "'The clerk told me you had a visitor,' he added, as we reached the street. "'A client!' I answered, with forced jocularity, a clergyman in need of legal advice. I thought I recognized him as he came out. It was Dr. Schuller, wasn't it? Yes. He glanced at me again, and then walked on in silence, but I felt the reproach he did not utter. He's in trouble of some kind, I explained. Connected with this affair? I think so, but I don't want it blazed forth in the record till I'm sure. The record doesn't blaze forth everything I know, he said quietly. I know it doesn't, but you'd give it this. It would have a right to this. 
"'Is it so important as all that? "'I rather fancy it's the clue we've been looking for.' "'His eyes were shining now as he looked at me. "'That is important,' he said. "'I should like to have it.' "'I'm not absolutely sure,' I said again, "'but I'm going to see him again this evening. "'If there's anything I can tell you after that, I will.' "'That's fair enough,' he assented. "'The story, whatever it is, is bound to be public property in a few days, I suppose. "'It will probably come out at the inquest. "'When is the inquest?' "'It's been set for to-morrow, but it will probably be held open until Lucy Kingdon can testify.' "'You'll beat the world a day, then. "'That's what I like to do. "'But here we are, and there's Haynes at the door.' We entered the yard, and Godfrey introduced me to the coroner. He impressed me at once as alert and efficient, and he led the way into the house and asked that I tell him the story of the night before, which I did as circumstantially as I could. "'I hope your wound isn't a bad one,' he said, when I had finished, glancing at my bandaged hand. "'Oh, no,' I said, "'a mere scratch. To tell the truth, I'd nearly forgotten it.' "'Here's the weapon the bullet came from,' he added, and produced from his pocket a small pearl-handled revolver. "'There are two chambers empty.' The other bullet flew straighter than the one fired at you, Mr. Lester. You mean... Yes, we probed for it and got it out. It had passed directly through the heart and lodged in the muscles of the back. There can be no question that it came from this revolver. Whose revolver is it? I asked. Presumably Miss Kingdon's. We've not been able to find any evidence on that point. It wasn't bought here in Elizabeth. You see, it's a foreign make. I could decipher upon the barrel the letters C and I, Paris. Godfrey examined it with eyes which were gleaming strangely. I watched him with a curious sinking of the heart, but he handed it back to the coroner without comment. "'Anything else?' he asked. "'No trace of the watch?' "'No,' and Haynes shook his head. "'How is Miss Kingdon?' "'A little quieter, but still delirious. She won't be able to testify to-morrow. We've got a trained nurse for her. The doctor thinks she'd better not be moved for a day or two. And no light as to the identity of the victim. I've found a cabman who saw him get off the 10.30 train from New York on the morning of the 10th. Then he went into a drug store near the depot and asked to look at a directory, afterwards asking the way to North Broad Street. He probably spoke to no one else till he stopped to ask Clemley where the Kingdons lived. He'd never been here before, then. Evidently not, and he didn't know the Kingdons' address until he got here. No, agreed Godfrey, no. Well, you've evidently done everything that could be done, Mr. Haynes. Perhaps something more will come out at the inquest. It opens at ten o'clock, doesn't it? Yes. Here are your subpoenas, and he handed us each a paper. "'Very well,' said Godfrey. "'We'll be present, of course. Where will it be held?' "'I thought it best to hold it here,' answered Haynes. "'I want the jury to be on the scene.' "'But won't it disturb Miss Kingdon?' "'Not at all. There's a large front room which will answer nicely, and I'll have the police keep everybody out who hasn't some business there. Here's the room,' and he opened a door and led the way into the room beyond. It was the one into which Miss Kingdon had shown me on the morning of my memorable interview with her and involuntarily my eyes sought the portrait on the wall opposite the front windows. It was still there, as alluring, astonishing, compelling as ever. Indeed, as I gazed at it now, it seemed even more striking than it had when I saw it first. "'Look at that,' I said, turning to Godfrey, but there was no need for me to call his attention to the portrait. He had already seen it, and was gazing at it in rapt admiration. "'Whose is it?' he demanded at last. "'Who painted it?' I pointed to the name scrawled in the corner. "'Ruth Endicott,' he read slowly. "'Well, and who was she?' "'That's her portrait,' I said. "'Does it remind you of anyone?' He looked at it for a moment in silence, then shook his head. "'No, I can't say that it does. But who was Ruth Endicott?' "'Nobody in particular. A distant relative of the Kingdons.' Godfrey gazed at me sceptically. "'Really?' he asked. "'Really. This was the last picture she painted. 
of herself. You see how crude it is. Crude, yes, but it's got power, Lester. The woman's there, somehow, looking right out of the canvas. Did she die? Yes, thirty years ago, and I told him the little I knew of Ruth Endicott and her history. He listened without comment, his eyes still on the bewitching face gazing down from the wall at us. "'Well, it beats me,' was his only remark when I had ended, and with a visible effort he tore himself away from the portrait and turned to the coroner, who had been waiting patiently until our inspection of the painting was ended. "'Is this where the inquest will be held?' "'Yes, sir. I'll have some chairs brought in. It won't last very long. I'll have to adjourn it, of course, until Miss Kingdon can give her testimony.' Godfrey nodded. "'Yes, you'll have to do that. Well, you may depend upon us, but I doubt if our evidence will go very far toward solving the mystery.' If the town had been glowing the night before over the disappearance of Marcia Lawrence, it was fairly blazing now over this new mystery. In fact, the one had quite eclipsed the other, and I was mightily relieved to find that no one suspected any relation between them. I bought copies of both the local papers, and observed again their prodigal use of black type and exclamation points. Each of them devoted the whole front page to the case, without, however, throwing any new light upon it. On another page one of them stated in a few lines that nothing further had been heard from Miss Lawrence. The other contained no reference whatever to the Lawrence affair, and had apparently forgotten all about it. Could any good come of reviving it? Why need Dr. Schuller interfere at all? If it was Marcia Lawrence who was insane, the law could not touch her, whatever she had done. Harriet Kingdom was dead, and the obloquy of the crime could do her no injury. Besides, whoever had fired the shot— then suddenly I remembered the revolver. That was going to prove an awkward piece of evidence. Godfrey had suspected instantly who its owner was, and he certainly would permit no sentimental considerations to interfere with placing the whole truth before the public. But perhaps I was mistaken, after all. Granted that Marcia Lawrence had been subject to spells of derangement, that was no proof that she had committed this crime. It might be, indeed, that that very infirmity was the cause of her flight. She may have believed herself cured, and accepted Curtis in good faith, only to discover at the last moment that she was not cured, or the impulse to flight may have seized her during a sudden aberration caused by the excitement of her wedding-day. Aversion to friends and kindred was, as I knew, one of the most common symptoms of such derangement. Was this the key to the mystery? Was this the explanation of her flight? It was with my mind in this tumult that I approached Dr. Schuller's office that evening and rang the bell. He opened the door himself. "'I was expecting you,' he said, and led the way to his study. "'Sit down, Mr. Lester. I've been thinking over what you told me, and it seems to me that the world should know the whole truth.' My heart sank at the words. "'But what good will it do?' I questioned. "'Of course, Dr. Schuller, I suspect what the secret is. What good will it do that the world should know it?' "'It will at least turn loathing into pity. It will show that she was justified, in so far as there can be justification for such an act.' It will show that she was not mentally responsible, therefore neither legally nor morally guilty. "'I wasn't aware that she was regarded with loathing,' I said. "'In fact, I didn't know that she was connected with this case at all, in anyone's mind, outside of ourselves and a friend of mine.' "'Not connected with it?' Dr. Schuller cried. "'You astonish me!' "'The public doesn't know the facts, and I see no reason why they should. You will answer me, perhaps, that it's a duty to protect the memory of the dead. But the dead was guilty equally with the living.' "'My dear sir,' said Dr. Schuller, staring at me in a way I found most puzzling, "'you're speaking in riddles. I confess that I don't in the least understand you. What is it you propose?' "'What I propose,' I said bluntly, "'is this. Let Harriet Kingdon bear the obloquy of the crime. It can't harm her now. Besides, she largely deserves it. 
My evidence and Godfrey's will show that Lucy Kingdon had no hand in it, so there'll be no danger of wronging her. Let us see that Marshal Lawrence is placed in proper hands, and receives proper care. Perhaps she may yet— Marshal Lawrence? he repeated hoarsely. What has she got to do with this case, Mr. Lester? The question, the expression of his face, brought me to my feet. I was trembling so that I caught at the chair for support. I saw it all. In an instant I saw it all. Then it wasn't Miss Lawrence. Nonsense, not at all, he broke in testily. It was Harriet Kingdon. End of chapter 21 End of section 12